Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Adam, we created The Greatest Discovery to review new Star Trek. That's right. And there is a lot of new Star Trek aimed right at us. This is like the scene in UHF when we've won a game show game and now we are allowed to drink from the fire hose totally uh this is uh this is very exciting i think that they are advertising this as 23 consecutive weeks of new star trek coming uh first with lower decks and then with star trek discovery season three that's a lot of trek i thought we had this trek thing beat uh (laughs) no like i'm seeing i'm seeing the the curve bend upwards with respect to uh, to Star Trek, Ben. Yeah. There's no putting this thing down. <laughs> We've not flattened the Trek curve. Uh, <laughs> we maybe reopened Star Trek too soon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's, I, I don't know how it happened that way. We went into this without any sort of plan. I know, yeah. You would think that with no plan, we would have been able to beat it much better. <laughs> we, we, uh, we announced on last week's episode that we were trying to get a guest for this this week's episode, uh, we did try. We and, tried so hard, and uh, things were held up because of uh, getting approvals from uh, the folks at CBS. It was in the works, and it—I think—may still happen. This may be something that we do for a later episode. Can you imagine having to ask CBS permission to talk about Star Trek? Boy, <laughs> am I glad that's not us. I know. I think uh, this you bring up a good point, Adam. I mean, 23 weeks of new Trek means 23 weeks of new Greatest Discovery. And that's, that's right. something that's only possible with listener support. And uh, this happens to be the last week of the Max Fun Drive. And Greatest Discovery is well on its way to hitting its goal of 2,000 new and upgrading supporters. But we can't get to that goal without you, the listener. I am so proud and happy of the support that The Greatest Discovery has received so far. It really means that people care about watching new Star Trek with us. Yeah. And uh, and it makes all of this effort worthwhile, uh, crucially, because as we stare down the barrel of the next 23 weeks, uh, it's no joke. Yeah. Like, it's going to be very hard. And if you think about what this means for Rob's, that means for 23 consecutive weeks, we're going to be recording episodes on Fridays after the Thursday release of Star Trek episodes. And then he has to get those turned around by Tuesday. And uh, it's no small amount of work. It's like a solid eight-hour day to, to edit one of these shows. We feel very fortunate to be able to pay him a fair rate for that on top of his full-time job. And... Uh, I think that he would only take the time if we were doing so. So your support, it really makes the difference between this show existing and not, and being able to run flat out for 23 weeks and not. Just imagine Rob (laughs) in his apartment in Brooklyn, alone, working all weekend to make the greatest discovery. His dog and his lady looking longingly from the door, wanting to spend time with him, but unable to because of the demands we and CBS placed on him. But Friends of DeSoto can help. They can go to MaximumFun.org slash join and pledge support for The Greatest Discovery. They can set up monthly support and guarantee weekly episodes of The Greatest Discovery for the duration of this crisis of brand new Star Trek coming out every single week. Producers like Rob don't often have a chance at freedom. (laughs) They often die cold and alone, buried under the onslaught of episodes that they must edit. Is he a little mangy? Sure, but that doesn't mean he doesn't deserve love. (laughs) (laughs) Maximumfun.org slash join. Operators are waiting to take your call.
All right, Ben. Uh, One promise we were able to deliver on was the second of two Greatest Discovery eps focusing on the animated series of Star Trek. Yeah, and we're going to do a couple more quick hit episode reviews, these being shorter shorter episodes, Saturday morning cartoon length, Mm -hmm. uh, but not Saturday morning cartoon tone. (laughs) 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 We're going to review... um, Season one, episode two, yesteryear, and season one, episode seven, The Infinite Vulcan. I'm really glad you brought up uh, who these eps are appropriate for. (laughs) If it were a thing in 1973, I would say that these are PG-13. That's a great point. Like the rating, especially for this uh, this first of the two yesteryear. Like we'll talk about it as we go through. But a very a very bleak episode <laughs> of uh, of Star Trek that we're talking about here. We have gotten crash courses in time travel before in Star Trek. This is the crashiest time travel episode we have ever seen because it just announces very unceremoniously at the top of the episode that the entrepreneur is visiting a time vortex planet where all of the timelines of the galaxy converge and they're going back in time and doing some time travel for fun. I was totally off balance at no reference to chronoton particles by anyone anywhere. (laughs) So I couldn't be sure this was a time travel episode. (laughs) Hey, it's really fortunate that they have access to this planet, right? That then no one has ever mentioned afterward. I mean, we talk about it all the time. The Federation is just lousy with means of time travel that are, for some reason, not utilized much. Uh, You would think that there would be like a much more elaborate orbital defense system around this planet. They could make an entire series of Star Trek about the time cops that we saw in DS9, for example, you know? Yeah. If this is such a thing. It's not a going concern, though. No, it just isn't. They forget about the time travel every time they invent it. Right. I wanted to watch this episode because of these bird people mm-hmm. that are depicted in it. Uh, I don't think that this bird guy even talks in the episode. I think he does, but like every other episode of the animated series we've seen, we cut away from him, so we don't see words coming out of his beak. The travelers are returning. The opening of this episode especially is really fast and loose with just cutting away from somebody that's about to say something. <laughs> Birdman works for the planet, right? He doesn't he doesn't work for the Federation. Kirk mentions Federation historians, and I thought maybe he was a Federation historian along with that lady. Here's a tip, guys. Put a uniform on the Birdman. You yeah. could easily clear this up. Cut some slots out of a normal uniform for his wings to go through. Sure. Big, huge, Victoria's Secret show wings. They come out of this time vortex, Adam, and maybe the only piece of actual animation in the episode is Bones raising a finger to point at Spock and go, who's that? (laughs) Timeline got fucked up, Adam. It did, and you wonder if it was worth it when their mission the entire time was to study Orion history. Yeah. Like the sexual history of the Orion people. (laughs) Uh, I can see being a very intriguing uh, course of study for Kirk, but what's in it for anyone else? Yeah. Was Spock just there to like hold on to the back of his belt so he didn't run off and get into trouble? (laughs) I guess so. But this is a very fun reveal, right? When no one recognizes Spock except for Kirk, uh, you know that a butterfly-like effect has taken place. They pay the vaguest of lip service to this, that they tried not to touch anything when they were in the past, but uh, this is a big deal. Uh, They go back up onto the ship and have a McLaughlin group. Issue one. With their Andorian first officer, who has apparently been serving with Kirk for five years, and uh, they cannot figure out what has tweaked the timeline. It seems like everybody on the crew cannot remember Spock's existence. This Andorian, I think, is a really interesting character. He's as taciturn as Spock is, I would say, as a first <laughs> officer. I would say that Kirk definitely has a type when right. he, in first officers. But he has substantially less forbearance than Spock. Right. <laughs> because he is very accepting of the situation and the reason that Spock chooses to go back in in an attempt to fix it, Right. He's, he's like, you know, most people hate Andorians because we're real sons of bitches, but, uh, 
But you know, the one the one thing that people like about us is the family values that we have. Andorians, the family value species. They're a warrior species like the Klingons, but unlike the Klingons, specifically Worf, they actually raise their children. Yeah. We've checked the Starfleet records Commander Thalen asked for. They get a FaceTime from an ensign down in the research department who has turned up evidence of the existence of somebody named Sarek, ambassador to 17 Federation planets in the last 30 years, who had a son who died a long time ago, died at the age of seven. This really sent Ambassador Sarek into a tailspin. Uh, no mention of Cybok or Michael, his other two children, in this dossier. It sent Sarek into such a tailspin, he started studying Orion sexual history. <laughs> Newly single Sarek is ready to fuck. I am interested in she who is green. <laughs> they also discussed the existence of a wardrobe department on the entrepreneur. Right. Because... Spock needs to get a costume on and go back to a period in his own history to set the timeline right. Basically, what he's come up with is like he has a vague memory of having his life saved at the age of seven by a visiting cousin. And uh, that cousin typically portrayed cops on television shows. Cousin Selleck. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but was passing through and uh, and stayed with his family for a brief time and uh, and saved his life during like a uh, a rite of passage in his Vulcan upbringing. We don't get the scene where Spot goes to the ship's wardrobe and like holds up his black boot and he's like, "Do you have this size in white? <laughs> and also, do you have a blue terry cloth robe I can wear on top of my uniform? Because that's all I need." <laughs> Spock loves a robe. He does. He looks great in one. I think I think when you know that a look is working for you, it's hard to to step out of that groove, right? Yeah. Spock and Terry Cloth are thick as thieves. Mm. And uh it's very easy to go back in time. You just tell the time portal guardian, which is a disembodied voice, when you want to go to and specifically physically where you want to be. Like he he can just say, like, hey, this specific city on Vulcan and this time. The Guardian was a thing that was from the original series, just from an episode we haven't seen yet. Oh, really? Maybe one day we'll step to the mic and ask to go back in time to a TOS episode, and, and that'll be the one that we review. That's fun. 23 weeks from now. <laughs> Don't make promises that we will forget we made, and our listeners won't forget we made. <laughs> we'll be long dead by then, Ben. That's true. Um I really liked seeing the surface of Vulcan. I feel like the surface of Vulcan, like the loaf on Klingons, is something that every era of Trek takes a slightly different approach to. Right. But this was really cool. Very like mid-century, chic decoration style. It feels very deserty, but more like colorful than we normally see it. This seemed like a very like inviting version of the planet Vulcan. It suggested to me that the Discovery people did their research inside of some of the animated series because that house that Sarek and Amanda live in feels related to this. Like, like totally. this isn't the same house, but you could understand that the people who own and live in this home would eventually move into, you know, a different home, the one that we see from Discovery. What do you think of the uh, standard issue uniform of little boys on Vulcan? <laughs> I think you could only get away with that on Vulcan, I'd say. <laughs> I love the kind of Peanuts film on Vulcan effect here. The kids doing the voice of kids. It felt super Charlie Brown to me in a fun way. Yeah, there's even Pigpen Vulcan who just has the squiggly lines all around him. <laughs> hey, uh, if you're an animator and listening to this, please make a, a GIF. It, it can be like five or six frames of little Vulcan kids dancing like the Peanuts kids. That would be great. I would not have liked to have grown up on Vulcan as the skinny, skinny boy that I was. I wouldn't have liked <laughs> to have been shirtless. It would have been awful for me. I mean, Vulcan bullying is no joke. These, these kids are mean. Your father brought Shane to Vulcan. He married a human. This really reminded me of the kind of bullying that Spock is depicted being subject to in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek 2009 film. 
with our three episode sample size so far, it is becoming clear how actually real the animated series is in canon with how often yeah. other shows and movies have have gone to these wells for inspiration. It opens up so many possibilities for exploring the universe that you've created. And it's also being explored by people who've had several years to let their subconsciouses kind of run wild in that universe, you know? Like, I feel like there's some early TOS episodes that are still trying to kind of get a sense of what Star Trek can be, and, and there's some conflicts in the in the canon because of that. But I feel like it's a pretty cogent universe by the time you get to TAS. Well, Vulcan is a different place from a lot of other planets because of how these boys are dressed. Uh, also fairly permissive of just a random guy watching a bunch of these kids together on a playground. <laughs> Because Sarek approaches Spock and instead of admonishing him for being a creep, he invites him to dinner, sort of feeling yeah. a uh, preternatural kinship with him. They recognize each other. You know, Sarek is like, God, I feel like, I feel like I've always known you <laughs> in a weird way. And Spock introduces himself as Selick, a Vulcan lie, the rare Vulcan lie. That's right. The big conflict is that young Spock is not really like developing quite as his father would hope. He is not a perfect child. He's not a bad boy, but he's got this big life test coming up that will test his mettle as a Vulcan. And Sarek is super worried that he's not going to pass. These are all concerns that you share with a stranger that you've invited for dinner. Like, <laughs> it's one of the most popular things to talk about with people you don't know. Are yeah. your great concerns with your ability to rear a child? You get the family around <laughs> and tell a stranger about how your kid is already a disappointment to you <laughs> while your kid is within earshot. Is it any wonder that young Spock is having a hard time here? Geez, Sarah, get it together. <laughs> the way parenting is depicted on Vulcan is pretty fucking rugged. Yeah. They are good parents in some respect, though. Like, I think uh, any parents who would give a child uh, a pet to take care of. Can't be all bad, right? And uh, for the Spock family, there is the family grizzly bear, who is enormous. Like, the the costs associated with taking care of an animal this size, I couldn't even imagine. <laughs> Ichaya, it's kind of a saber-toothed bear. He's kind of a battle cat-looking guy. Battle cat's here, then so is He-Man. There's a problem here, because, like, this rite of passage that young Spock is supposed to go do is not immediately. It's not tomorrow like Spock thought. He's worried he has fucked the timeline up by, by coming back too early. This Kazwan ordeal uh, is scheduled for way later, but what, uh, what winds up happening is that young Spock is so worried about it that he actually sneaks out this first night that Selick is visiting to go do his Kazwan. It, like I guess just to give himself some practice has one because you only get one shot you don't want to miss your chance to blow right and honestly if i were young spock and a stranger came over for dinner and all my parents did was just judge me with him i'd probably sneak out of the house too that's fucked yeah but uh he leaves with spaghetti vomit all over his shirt and that unfortunately attracts uh, a vicious beast called a lamatia is this the same beast from discovery that we saw in the in the in the Vulcan forest, definitely a different design, but mm -hmm. maybe maybe it is a similar beast. Um, Ichaya gets in a fight with this thing, and uh, and then Old Spock, Selick comes out of nowhere and does like the giant version of a Vulcan neck pinch because he has to get like both hands on this thing's neck to knock it out. Yeah. I suggest we move away from this area before the Lamachia regains consciousness. Then there's some discussion of how Ichaya is poisoned from its tangle with the Lamachia, and young Spock takes it upon himself to run and get a Vulcan healer and hurry back to the site to heal this creature. They don't make it in time, and, and this becomes a child's cartoon about deciding between letting... Ichaya die a painful death or euthanizing it. 
It was so sad. What is the second episode of your children's cartoon going to be about? <laughs> Remind me, what was the first one about? <laughs> I mean, every child needs to come to grips with the death of a beloved pet eventually. What Star Trek, the animated series, presupposes is that should happen in episode two. Yeah, after your first episode is about a deceased civilization and a very lonely creature that is left behind on a dead star. For someone of any age, but I think especially a child, the most emotional moment of a person's life is going to be the confrontation of this moment. And it's interesting how the show makes the case for Vulcan philosophy as a way to get yourself through that. You can apply logic to this moment and come to the right decision for the benefit of a beloved pet. Ichaya didn't waste his life, so there's no grief in Ichaya's passing. Right. And death comes for everyone, and you can't control when. So it's only sad when the life was a waste. <laughs> this is an improvised eulogy that, that Spock is doing in the moment, and I found it very profound. I have no idea whether or not it would resonate with an eight-year-old. I imagine it wouldn't. <laughs> but uh, boy, like how early is too early to consider ideas like these even if you don't fully understand them yeah on the one hand ben i totally agree with you that like this is the deep end of of considerate thought uh and it may be too deep for a child but i don't think it's wrong to present the these ideas as something to at least attempt to consider no i don't either and i think that there's something kind of amazing about this episode which is that Older Spock can talk to younger Spock from the position of having grown up and reassure him that while his life will not be easy, things will happen to him that are sad and really challenging and his dual Vulcan human identity will be something that is a struggle his entire life. It's like the it gets better speech. Except it's I get better, which is yeah, right. <laughs> a weird way to put it. But like, I think a, a little kid watching this could find themselves in that moment too, even though it's not directly about them. Yeah. Kind of awesome stuff, actually. So having done this, Spot goes back through the portal and it is revealed that the family pet not dying was the squashed butterfly that polluted the timeline before. Having, having killed the pet... Things have been restored, and uh, and Spock yeah. is now recognized by his crewmates. The Andorian is dead. Yeah, he's gone. <laughs> he's been erased from history. Yeah. So sad to bed, Andorian guy. We hardly knew him. <laughs> That's yesteryear, Adam. Did you like this episode? You know, at first, I, I did not. I bristled against its attempts to present a very advanced theme to what I had thought was... Uh, a children's audience. I understand now the audience for this show is not children. And so I'm, I'm sort of recalibrating my judgment toward uh, toward us. And yeah, yeah, I, I did and, and do like it. I think it's, uh, it's impressive to me what it attempted and did do, I think, in 22 minutes. Like one thing we're not talking about because it's taken us a half an hour to talk about a 20 minute episode is like how efficient <laughs> it is in its storytelling. Yeah, I think it's a good episode. It threads the needle of being something that is interesting for an adult to watch, but also I think would be cool for a kid to watch. I think a kid could get a lot out of this. But did you find yourself, Adam, an Edward Larkin? <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, my Edward Larkin is the Vulcan healer who drives around in a hover car with the license plate Angeline. <laughs> that pink hover car was dope. Um, my Edward Larkin is the research ensign that gets on the on the FaceTime when they're trying to figure out what happened. I think part of this is just that they drew him from like the camera tilted down at the screen. So they had to kind of angle his head a little bit. But God, that guy was doofy. <laughs> I laughed at him. Yeah, I bet you felt good about that, too. Yeah. Making fun of somebody for their physical appearance. I'm a real piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, speaking of pieces of shit, we have a giant one 
in the next animated series episode we saw. <laughs> it's the episode that was written by Walter Koenig. It's episode seven of season one of the animated series. It's called The Infinite Vulcan. If you listen to our last episode, you'll uh, you'll remember that Walter Koenig, uh, not invited to the animated series party of all the cast members, but he found a way in, and that was by writing the script to this episode. Yeah, somebody online was tweeting that Jimmy Duen did like tons of voices on the animated series and would often play several characters in each episode by doing different accents and stuff. He got paid individually for different characters. So Walter Koenig must have been pissed. This was one of the episodes where I definitely noticed that voice work happening, both by Jimmy Dewan and by Nichelle Nichols. That was neat. Especially because I remember Nichelle Nichols having one line of dialogue a couple episodes ago, like, (laughs) not a ton to do. So this is an episode that starts with them uh, beaming down to a planet on the edge of space. There's a lot of buildings around and energy readings coming from one of the buildings. Can you believe it? There's a uh, there's a living kush ball that lands at Sulu's feet as they're doing these scans. Yeah. Uh, it's a kush ball with legs. We talked a little bit in the last episode about how inventive you can get with character design, but this is literally just a Tribble combined with the Tribble Eater. <laughs> he has a little bit of a Gudetama butt also, which I thought was neat. What is a Gudetama butt? Oh, Gudetama is the lazy egg from, uh, from the Sanrio universe. Oh. This uh, this kush ball lands at Sulu's feet and it starts walking around. And when when Sulu tries to manipulate it, it stings him. Yeah, so I was worried we were going to get a clip show when that happened. Right. But instead, they have to appeal to the expertise of the locals, which are plant based intelligent creatures. Who come up and, you know, they're like, get out of here, McCoy. You don't know what you're doing. We do. These artichoke aliens believe that they can help the fallen Sulu who has one minute to live. One minute (laughs) only. (laughs) When we talk about pacing efficiency, like, (laughs) no show would ever give a character one minute to live. (laughs) (laughs) Sure would not. It's crazy. McCoy's desperate. Like, everything he's able to do wouldn't act fast enough, and so he appeals to these intelligent plants for help. Yeah. And luckily, Agmar, who's the the leader of these artichokes, uh, has just the thing to fix Sulu up. To wait is to assure your friend's death. I must proceed. Agmar's skills of medicine really blow McCoy out of the water. This medicine appears to be steamed and dipped in... (laughs) Melted butter. <laughs> it's delicious. Uh, I thought that it was very convenient that these aliens don't have mouths that move when they talk. Another extremely efficient <laughs> animation choice on this show. I loved it. They are very welcoming and uh, welcome the crew to planet Phylos. I love that uh, that their sense of hospitality is like, hey, want to see the crypt? <laughs> and like that's their that's their first stop. These yeah. guys these guys get taken on a tour of their mausoleum. It seems like uh, these are basically juveniles because the the crypt is full of guys that look just like them, but way way bigger. Yeah, pretty scary stuff. Scary because they're dead, you know. Yeah, you get the sense that something's not right on this planet. It doesn't take long before purple pterodactyls descend upon the group, and with their tentacle arms they they grab spock and and drag him away these pterodactyls are also a type of plant according to the dialogue spock can't break free because the pterodactyls have tentacles and tentacles are strong and they eat old people's medicine for fuel and it was all a diversionary tactic everything that has happened so far was a pretext to enable these swoopers to grab spock and you know, like nothing works down on the planet now. Like they're trying to shoot them with phasers. The phasers don't work. The communicators don't work. This has been a jam up. This part of the episode was so strange to me because the attitudes toward the artichokes doesn't seem to change afterwards, even though it's fairly clear that the artichokes are working for the master that they refer to, the same master that took Spock away. Right. 
it is weird and frustrating and a little bit against character type that Kirk is like, okay, well, you guys are great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is a moment later, I think, where, where Kirk gets one of them in a headlock or whatever, like a, yeah. an artichoke lock. But, but like, I would not characterize their attitudes as hostile towards each other in a way that you might expect in the aftermath of a kidnapping. They reserve all their hostility to uh, dump onto Dr. Stavos Caniclius V, who walks out, and he's a big, tall guy. I thought maybe about the scale of the dead Phylosians that we saw earlier, but we never see them like standing next to each other. I, I sort of wondered if the giantness was a choice that he made because of the planet that he wound up on. I'm just looking at a screen grab with our away team next to this guy, and it looks like they could be between five and six away team members tall. Wow. So like 40-ish feet tall is is how tall this guy stands. That's a big dude. You can see right up his skort. Yeah, this dude is packing a hammer. Yeah. So they uh, they run away and they beam up and they're talking about like who this guy is and what the master is. It seems like maybe the actors weren't all in the same room when they recorded their dialogue because they all pronounce Caniclius a little bit different. Right. The way that Klingons are pronounced a whole lot of ways on this show. Yeah. They try a bunch of stuff. Like they try shooting the <laughs> building that Spock is in. I didn't know that you could set the ship's phasers to stun, but they do. (laughs) (laughs) They should have set it to stun when they uh, encounter Tin Man. Yeah, just stun Tin Man. That'll show it. (laughs) So aboard the ship, each crew person seems to have a specialty that they they bring to bear here. Country Dr. McCoy assembles some sort of secret cocktail of medicine that he may or may not use later. Uh, Scotty's working on a a special equipment project. And the rest of the bridge crew is doing research on Canigulus, who has been revealed to be a eugenicist. Right. He's sort of Khan's daddy. He's Khan's big daddy uh, at that height. And and (laughs) they sort of surmise that because his name is Canigulus 5, he must be the fifth in a series of copies that, that he's been making over and over again. He's been cloning himself to become eternal. They realize they have a pretty formidable opponent. I like pizza. I like it. The artichoke people love this guy because he forestalled the disease that uh, ripped through their planet. And and they feel like they owe him, but they're not like totally aligned with him as far as the entrepreneur crew can tell. Right. So they get their secret equipment from Scotty, uh, left for dramatic effect what this is until later uh, and they beam back down to the planet i'm shocked that sulu goes back down again after what happened before his near-death experience unreferred to maybe let him stay in command on the ship and give uh give somebody else a dangerous job for once (laughs) right right they're immediately descended upon by the purple dactyls everything purple on this planet is dangerous Well, I tend to enjoy long purple things. <laughs> this is one case where there are far too many. I'm going to send this aubergine emoji using my <laughs> communicator to someone back on the ship. <laughs> so uh, the away team retreats back to a giant hangar with a bunch of ships inside. Yeah, like rocket age rocket ships that uh, are covered in vines. This appears to have been an evacuation fleet that never took off. Yeah. And Agmar is like, I know you guys are pissed, but there's something really good happening here. And <laughs> and your man Spock is going to carry on the work that we were, we were trying to do. So it's not that bad. And when you see what's actually happening here, you're going to be, you're going to be pleased as punch. So hop on my hoverboard with me. Isn't it clear that like one of the things that really sets off Kirk the most is a difference in values? Yeah. Because like this is the thing that sets him off. Kirk strong arms Agmar in this scene, completely unable to to get Agmar's reasons in celebration that Spock was taken. Yeah. Kirk's response to a, a difference of opinion is to resort to violence every single time. Um, so they, they're in these like underground tunnels and they're like scanning the walls and they're like, oh, well, no wonder our center- sensors couldn't penetrate. These are 600 times denser than lead. This is a bunker, man. This is Fort Knox 
or planet Phylos. It explains a lot about their inability to penetrate the walls with their ship's phasers on stun or with the sensors. But then the lights cut and these swoopers start attacking. And so they make a run for it and they, they're in this like long tunnel and they, they see light at the end of the tunnel. When they come out, they find normal sized Spock on a bio bed. His brain is being uploaded into giant Spock that is on the scale of giant Dr. Stavos Caniclius V. I love that there is a lot of medical science happening here. A ton yeah. of it. There's an operating table. There's the explanation about what's happening to his mind. But Ben, uh, they also took the time to tailor a giant uniform for giant Spock. <laughs> out of what? The the garments that they had on hand? Out of the loom that exists in the next room? Caniclius 5 is like, hey, listen, there was actually a lot of fabric left over <laughs> when I made my costume, which is a <laughs> mini skirt. So yeah. we could probably put you in something that looks a lot like what you were wearing when you were little. Why didn't Caniglius put Spock into a costume more like his? Would have been nice. Maybe we would have been unprepared for how jacked Spock is with his shirt off. One thing that the locals were unprepared for is the uh, devices that Scotty and McCoy collaborated on. They're uh, handheld herbicide sprayers. <laughs> Great-granddaddy's weed spray is what McCoy calls it. Yeah, they mask up. Nice to see. Yeah, wear a mask. People taking the precautions, and they start filling the room with this stuff, and it it takes out the swoopers, but uh, Caniclius and Big Spock, I guess, are unaffected or just are above the <laughs> the level of the smoke or something. Right. The weed spray descends. Maybe the craziest part of this episode is the using all of the remaining power available on the entrepreneur to get communications reestablished with the crew on the planet. Yeah, I mean, if I'm a Hura, even I'm telling Scotty, look, like my job isn't that important. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we try something else? Like, you know what Kirk does to solve problems, right? He does the put his two hands together and Kirk chops somebody in the back. Information about history is not going to change anything about that. Right. So they use up every bit of their energy to communicate with the away team and with Caniglius, where it's made clear what his history is and why. Right. He came here to breed a master race that would sort of become a galactic peacekeeping force. And if they're all big giant guys like he is, and they're all super strong like Spock and super capable like Spock... They'll be able to enforce peace. And and this actually winds up being revealed as what the Phylosians wanted as well. Like their fleet that they were building before they got before they all got sick was a fleet that was going to enable them to kind of conquer the galaxy and impose this peaceful society that they imagined that they could impose. Caniglius hasn't extrapolated this plan too far into the future because if he's able to pull off the the giant man army he has not considered uh, the need for giant women i don't think mm. these these guys are gonna have a pretty bad attitude in pretty short order right <laughs> yeah and when they go like try to take the edge off by punching one out that's gonna produce a lot of hazardous material right that is uh, not plant food <laughs> no the Caniclius clones have been at this for hundreds of years since the eugenics wars. And Kirk mm -hmm. is like, hey, have you actually checked back in with the Federation recently? It's fucking great. We don't <laughs> need you to come impose peace on us. We've already got it, bozo. I'm sure we're getting through, but they're not acknowledging. This is the story of the, uh, of the guy still fighting World War II on the island who hasn't yeah. communicated with the outside world. He just doesn't know. It takes him a while to like accept that this might be possible. And and they're also like fighting against Spock's original body. He's unfrozen caveman eugenicist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this argument is happening while Spock's original regular sized body is also kind of shuffling loose this mortal coil because without right. Spock's consciousness, it can't survive. But big Spock is still Spock. Caniglius hasn't changed his personality. But he's slowly coming online, right? Big Spock isn't the Spock we know right now, but he's getting there. Yeah. His taskbar is is crawling towards 100%. And uh, 
they start Star Trek fighting each other. Phylosians and big people and regular people are getting involved and the and the lab is starting to get destroyed and like the equipment that they would need to get the consciousness back from Big Spock is destroyed. But Big Spock knows what to do. He does the biggest mind meld ever. With the tip of a finger onto Spock Prime's forehead, he transfers his consciousness into him. But I guess it isn't a transfer, it's a it's a duplication. Yeah, he basically makes a backup and, you know, Spock subscribes to the two is one, one is none yeah. uh, theory of data management. He's no dummy. Uh, but Caniclius 5 is like, hey, listen, like you're saying all this stuff about the, the galaxy being roughly at peace and my work being worthless. So what do I need to do? And big Spock is like, hey, why don't we stick around and see if we can uh, save these Phylosians? We're two pretty capable scientists. Turns out this eugenics maniac is uh, capable of hearing some reason. (laughs) Turns out this eugenics maniac will not be punished for any of his many eugenics crimes. Yeah, they have no law to fit his crime. So that's basically how the episode ends. They leave giant Spock behind with him. They take mini Spock back to the ship and then they cruise away. Yeah, there is a like racism button on the episode, which is Kirk asking... Mr. Sulu, how he did one of his one of his fighting moves, and Sulu like winking at the camera and saying, "You have to be inscrutable." Yee. That's weird that they would basically turn to camera and refer to something like that. Yeah, it was a it was a very uncomfortable way, way for the episode to end. So, uh, first episode today ends with the death of a beloved pet. End of the second episode, an uncomfortable. <laughs> Racist reference and depiction. Cool. Yep. (laughs) So animated series is perfect. And did you like the episode? I mean, I I thought I liked it fine up until the revelation at the end. (laughs) Now I'm not sure what to believe. Here's what I believe, Ben. I believe that in Star Trek Discovery Season 3, they should return to this planet for giant Spock. They were willing to go back to Talos 4, right? Is Giant Spock 11 because they've gone so far into the future? (laughs) You know this guy's out there. Let's get him. The ramifications of Giant Spock are very, very fun. They've got a job that only his giant hands could (laughs) could solve. (laughs) Someone needs to open this giant space jar of pickles. We need you to neck pinch a Gormagander. That's exactly it. Let's... Bring back Giant Spock. He was able to mind meld with a whale in in Star Trek Four, so... He doesn't need giant hands for that. Wow. Yeah, I, th- I thought that this was a pretty fun episode, but from a scripting standpoint, was a lot to cram into 22 minutes. Are you suggesting something about Walter Koenig in that scene at the end? I think that Walter Koenig uh, wrote something into the script that I, I doubt he would stand by today. Fair enough. But I have a question for you. What's that, Ben? You find yourself an Edward Larkin? I mean, it's clearly Stavros Coniglius 5, right? (laughs) Actually, it's not even 5. It's the original Stavros Coniglius. Here's the thing. Doctor, uh, if you have the technology to build all of these hangars, uh, all of these rocket ships, the lab with which... You uh, you create your duplicates. Uh, why don't you set up a satellite dish <laughs> up on the roof of one of those things? Why yeah. don't you... No one's asking you to talk to anyone, but uh, maybe read a paper from time <laughs> to time. I think you'd find, you'd find the practice enriching. Yeah. That's my Edward Larkin. What about you? There are a couple of God shots of Kurt kind of from the perspective of one of the talls. And Mm -hmm. whenever they cut to that angle, the drawing of Kirk makes him look like a little boy. (laughs) And I really liked seeing Kirk uh, depicted in a diminutive way, a character that is almost always depicted in a very dominant framing. I wanted Canigulus to pick him up and and like King Kong him a little bit, throw him (laughs) against a wall or bust him in half and suck out his nougat. It would have been fun to see him attempt a Kirk chop at like somebody's ankle. (laughs) Yeah, not enough giants fighting littles. In this episode, I don't think. Yeah, that would have been cool. Well, Adam, do you want to see if we have any P1s in the old inbox? Absolutely. 
Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first Priority one message is of a promotional nature. How about that? All right. The message is... May I use a priority one message to instigate a feud between you and the McElroys? <laughs> My answer to that is, yes, you can. My answer to that is, uh, they are probably only vaguely aware of our existence. <laughs> of Maximum Fun Podcast, they are the Coniglius yeah. fives. And we're that little purple guy running around right at the beginning of the episode. Here's a way we could feud with them. Taking a page out of out of our buddy John Roderick's book, this being Max Fun Drive Time. Mm. Uh, why don't you unclick a support for a McElroy show and uh, and click one of our Uxbridge Shimoda properties on Greatest Gen? That would send a message. You have no idea how dead we are. <laughs> Yeah, that you've suggested that. There is a giant magnifying glass uh, being held up over over my home right now, and it's concerning. Yeah. Is there a call to action for that one? Yeah, it says, don't buy Jumbotron's drunk. <laughs> this is a very drunk suggestion by yeah. this person, so uh, we can't feud with the McElroys. We'd be killed. We'd be murdered. They, they would have us killed. They wouldn't do anything uh, untoward. They're, they're good, good boys or whatever they are but but they sure as hell hire hire a hitman (laughs) (laughs) i don't doubt doubt that for a second adam our second priority one message here is from b and it's to ben and adam goes like this thank you for filling with joy the many years i've spent listening to your podcasts your commentary is clever relevant and speaks to the inner geek in all of us loves you guys be safe wow thank you b thanks b I like how Anonymous B made their very anonymous compliment. (laughs) Nobody's going to be able to track down who B is. I don't know. In these trying times, I think B's being smart about this. Yeah, B doesn't want the McElroys to hear their full name right after that earlier P1 and and be targeted by by them for association with us. Don't worry about B. B's going to be just fine. Yeah. Well, if you'd like to leave a P1 on the show, it's uh, MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. We sure appreciate it. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never-frozen, chef-crafted meals and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth, wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning. In your pants. Back for another game. You know it.
What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Okay, Adam, I think it's no secret what next week's episode is. It's going to be the first episode about Lower Decks. Finally here, finally uh, breaking the seal on another Star Trek series. Yeah, and the first animated Star Trek series in like 50 years. Pretty excited about it. Uh, we've gotten uh, drips and drabs of of imagery and trailers, and I have liked every one. I think, like we've talked about this a bunch, when Star Trek tries to be funny, results are mixed. Yeah. But this is a show that uh, that is leaning very hard into that genre, and luckily... Uh, it's got some really great creators and talent behind us who are seasoned yeah. at comedy, uh, especially. And I think that's going to give it a great chance to succeed. I'm really looking forward to it. I am too. I can't wait. Uh, very excited for the Friends of DeSoto to join us as we embark on this uh, exciting new chapter. So uh, we're going to leave it with Rob's, 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 Rob's from here. Uh, but thank you for hanging with us through the off season. And uh, let's have a great on season. Yeah. We'll see you next week for Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 1. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. The podcast is produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusea of Cooking Fame. Check out his YouTube videos for some awesome recipes. And thanks again for doing the donor match for Max Fun Drive. Speaking of Max Fun Drive, this is the final week, as you heard earlier. We're looking to hit that 2,000 new and upgrading members, so we really appreciate it if you head to MaximumFun.org join and support the show. Don't forget, you can now follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handles GreatestTrek. Those socials are managed by Bill Tilly, who also benefits from supporters like you. So let's make this a really great end to Max Fun Drive 2020. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.